Welcome everybody to the first ever edition of the Extra Rounds podcast. My name is Mike Dice. I'm Elias Cepeda. Uh, this is a thing that we've wanted to do for a while. For those of you who don't know either one of us, we're friends. We both live in Chicago. We both love MMA. We've talked about this for months and we just finally decided to do it. So this is the inaugural episode. Uh, just to let you know, we do plan on loading this to iTunes, to Google Play, so you can download it on your phones. Uh, we're also going to try and get it in a tune-in. We wanted to do it live. That didn't work out for technical difficulties. I'll, I'll take the blame for that one. Uh, I mean, we're not pointing fingers, but <laughs> the, it didn't work this time around. We'll do Facebook Live in the future on the Sports Illustrated MMA uh, Facebook page. We'll also do it on the Fansided page. We'll also do it live on Fansided's YouTube channel in the future down the line. wasn't in the cards for today, but it's in the cards for the future. So let's talk about a weekend full of MMA first. Uh, we had Bellator 159, interesting event. Darian Caldwell, a uh, heavy favorite in the Bantamweight, undefeated fighter, lost in the main event. He was a guy who told me the week prior that he envisioned himself being the best of all time, getting titles in three weight classes. Yeah. Uh, he lost. Did you watch Bellator? That's the only fight I saw of, of yeah. that card, actually. And I, I was pretty surprised, pretty surprised as well. I definitely had him winning like most of the world did. I mean, I would have liked to see him win. I, I was really intrigued talking to him, and I thought it was really entertaining. And I think the storyline would have been great. You know, Conor McGregor started something with us, everybody not being happy with just being the champion in their division. Yeah. Um, you know, so well, BJ and, Penn really started it a long yeah. time ago with his crazy, awesome Hawaiian Hapa attitude. Right. But kind of picked up that that, yeah. that torch for he, sure he's maybe the right way to say this was he's breathed life back into that a hundred percent like you know everybody does everybody follows whatever's working and he's working right now so yep. everybody's jumping in line um that being said we do plan on talking a lot of bellator uh on here in the future all mma not just ufc uh we do plan on having bellator fighters here on the future um but for this week we wanted to focus more on UFC on Fox 20 because it was in our hometown of Chicago and we have UFC 201 coming up, which is a huge event. So first off, let's talk UFC on Fox 20. Uh, great card, I thought. Yeah. Um, a little underrated. People didn't think about, think about it or people were maybe exhausted from the UFC 200 still and the UFC Sioux Falls. And you know, then there was Bellator 158 in London and Bellator 159. There's just been a ton of MMA. Yep. But exciting especially the early prelim cards absolutely early prelim and the first couple i believe of the main card uh ha had some some really surprising finishes and i even like the the long ones like the main event went all five rounds i thought it was really interesting it wasn't an action jackson type of brawl but it was surprising and how it went down i thought and we saw fighters make adjustments we had some twists and turns and it was great technical fighting so yeah i, I thought it was a good card i thought it was you know other than holly holm it was probably low on name recognition, but as we saw with that Sioux Falls card, that's, that's, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a bad card. A lot of times, these hungry, relatively unknown fighters come out there and tear it up. And for me, the big storyline was Felice Herrick. Mm -hmm. I, that whole season of The Ultimate Fighter, uh, the winner getting the champion was really intriguing. I, that was one of the ones where I watched live every night more so than uh, on the DVR. And... For those of you who don't know, she, she lost to Paige Van Sant in uh, UFC on Fox 16, 15 maybe, yeah. in Newark. A year and a half ago. Yeah, and she's been out of the cage. And, you know, she popped back up on the radar when they announced that they were going to do a card in Chicago. She's from Chicago like we are, and uh, it meant a lot to her. And she won in, not only did she win, she won in an impressive, dominant fashion. And 
it was really interesting to listen to her talk to it after, talk about it afterwards. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Like we were, we were like you and I talked about immediately afterwards ourselves. I, I can't imagine what that feels like to have to go through the ups and downs that Felice has. She's had a really great career, and only recently has she gotten the kind of national, international spotlight that, that she deserves because she's been a top fighter in that weight for a long time and was a top kickboxer as well before that. To, to go through those ups and those more recent downs, to come back and of all places to do it in Chicago at the United Center where the Blackhawks play, where the Bulls play, and to, and to win in a really impressive but also shocking fashion. Like I, uh, Maybe I was just um, really blind, but I, I definitely thought Kaylin Kern was more of a submission threat in that fight, and she ended up getting submitted fast so yeah that was that was that was pretty remarkable she won over a much younger fighter who I think has a little length on her and, and did it surprisingly fast uh, it was a, it was a huge win a huge a huge statement and just had to feel like a million bucks for her and sometimes I feel like the the home crowd fighter mm. is a little overplayed in MMA because how like how many MMA fans are cognizant or aware of which fighters are from that their city you know, Johnny Hendricks, whenever he'd fight in Dallas, like you could notice, you yeah. noticed it, Oklahoma State thing, but he was a bigger name. Felice Harris, not necessarily a big name, and I was kind of curious to see what the reaction would be like. And she maybe got the loudest pop yeah. of the night, if not. I think it matters more, Mike, for, for like the people that don't, that aren't huge fight celebrities. When they are fighting on, on a big stage in their hometown, I think you, you, when you're there live, at least on television, it's probably not a, not a huge deal. But when they're there live, you know, they, they're, they've sold tickets. They've got their family. They've got their friends. And, and I think all the, all the local-ish fighters, Indiana, uh, Illinois-based uh, folks or originated folks, got some, some really good support. Even if it was just, like, the other pro fighters that are from the area. Like, we had Clay Guida shouting instructions to a number of people, including Darrell Elkins, who, uh, who trains with them, which is from uh, an Illinois wrestler like Clay. Just kind of get cool little moments like that, whether it's a big ovation or, or, or more people than their coaches ringside shouting very specific instructions, uh, like from, you know, 50 feet away. You get some, you get some cool moments like that. Yeah, Clay was sitting right behind Press Row where we yeah. were at, and you could hear him. Oh, yeah. Yelling. But, and then, like I said, I was invested in Felice. She wins. Uh, I'm really interested to see what she says when Joe Rogan's talking. And at, for the beginning part, I couldn't even hear her Isn't talking cool? because it was so loud, yeah. which was uh, a great moment for her, and you know how much that meant to her. Um, but moving on, the next fight on the card was a heavyweight bout. Mm. Francis, the Frenchman. Um, I'm not even going to try to say his last name. He <laughs> blew through Bojan. And I, that's his third win in three UFC fights. He's 3-0 and in the UFC. They always talk about the, UFC, the heavyweight division particularly being lacking fresh talent mm -hmm. and uh, being the same names. You know, there's always that criticism of that weight class. But here's a guy coming in and he's making noise do you do we push him a little bit faster to get him up there or you still work your way up there I wouldn't give him like top 10 guys yet precisely because I, I like him and precisely because I think he can he has a big upside and can continue to develop but I love the fact that you know not only did, not only did he fight well but afterwards rhetorically he was out there saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to be champion I'm here to beat everyone eventually and it'll be it'll be a champion that's great because you got the fighting skills you've got the look and then you've got that that voice uh, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to deny opportunities to someone that's putting all those things together. And moving on, we have uh, Gilbert Melendez, who fought Edson Barboza in the co-main event. Yeah. Now, um, that was probably the fight that I was most interested in watching, just Same because um, 
I thought stylistically it was an intriguing matchup. You have uh, Gilbert Melendez, who's a dynamic fighter, with Edson Barboza, who's just thrilling to watch uh, all the time. But uh, Gilbert also came, took time to come into the office and talk to us, and we got to know him a little bit better, which was uh, fun and made that fight more interesting, having heard him talk about it in person. Um, and if you didn't see that, you can go see that on YouTube. Uh, we're going to set up an extra rounds playlist on the YouTube channel, so you make sure to check that out. Also, you wrote up something on the interview that has the video of the entire interview with him in it. That's right. That's a great piece, so make sure to Thanks, go read sir. that as well. Um, but kind of heartbreaking for Gilbert, but yeah. also kind of exciting for Edson. Absolutely. I mean, I, and that's the that's one of the more benign, cruel realities of, of the fight world, that in order for someone's star to ascend, they have to they have to crush a, a, another one, right? Even even if it's just a little bit. And by no means was it some crazy dominant, you know, performance. It was just a really good, solid win from Barbosa uh, that showed the things that he does probably a little better than anyone else in the division, like kicking the legs. That was nasty. I mean, I had it. I personally had that fight going uh, one round apiece going into the third, but you know, Gilbert, game as he was, and he kept on trying. He just, his legs had taken too much damage from kicks from Barbosa. And, and you don't see that a lot from a guy like Gilbert. As tough as he is, as, as, uh, as cagey as he is, you don't see people do that type of damage. And he's been doing it for a long time. So Barbosa, was, was, that, that was phenomenal. Because Gilbert Melendez has arguably been at the top of two weight divisions throughout his career. So for Barbosa to get a win against him and again, a, a guy that also can threaten with takedowns, was huge. Melendez has nothing to be ashamed of, but I think it's tough to fight someone, especially that fast when you're coming off a long layoff and you're older than them. Thought he fought well, and I think he could be still be competitive with anyone at the top of that division. But yeah, it's just it, it's tough to see it. I saw him afterwards. You know, he seemed in pretty good spirits, talking with uh, his corners and, and their friends and family. But it, it's a tough thing, you know. The, the fans gave him love afterwards. He, he appreciated it. But you know, I, I, at least I f he could probably feel that he he gave a really good effort. And someone just bested him. I don't know if that's easier or harder. It depends on your mood. Just knowing you actually did everything you could and someone still got a little, it got the better of you. It's a tough thing, but at least you don't have regrets, you know? You could um, say Gilbert Melendez is kind of at a crossroads. Yeah. And, it, and it's not fun to watch him go through, but where does he go from here? Do you think his future's at lightweight? Can he make 145? Is that where his future's at? You know what? I don't know if he can or not. That's a good question. Um, I would imagine you just apply some general rules and that it's harder to, to drop weight or get lower the older you get. Uh, and he's not an old man, but he's, he's, he's old for the lighter weight classes, right? He's not fighting old, but he's old for it. Um, so I don't know how easy or possible that would be for him. I, I don't know that that's the right move, even if he can. I think the guys get just, just get speedier when you go, when you go lower. I think he just needs to decide if he wants to still do it. He has nothing to prove. He has to decide if he still enjoys it enough to keep doing it, even if he doesn't have a title fight on the horizon. Because at this point, barring some injuries, even though he can give the champion, and he did give the champion a, a hell of a fight, Eddie Alvarez, a new champion, he's probably not going to be given that just because he's coming off of losses. So he has to decide for himself, like, hey, do I enjoy this enough that I can just fight some good people and, and just enjoy the fight for itself and making the money or does it bother me that I'm I'd have to do a whole lot and fight probably for a lot longer to, to get within reach of another title shot and I don't know he can he, he's still effective so he has to decide if it's worth if it's if the juice is worth the squeeze at this point 
great turn, great turn of phrase. <laughs> he, I mean, he definitely has a future. He was very candid afterwards about, you know, hey, I'm obviously not in the picture, and I need to work my way back up. Mm. Um, but I'm sure if we were if he were here, he would say he could very easily get his way back in. It's just going to take work. Yeah. And he just yeah. realizes he's going to have to start at a different point than maybe he was at. Um, but Edson Barboza racking up some big wins. Yep. You know. Uh, knocked off Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez, there's some serious feathers in the cap. You know, we've seen top lightweights drop off. Uh, Donald Cerrone lost to um, Dos Anjos uh, in December. Dos Anjos lost. Um, people are getting yeah. knocked off. Does that move him up the line? Where is he in the title picture? It has to move him up, and I think he would be a great next title challenger. But that's a tricky situation, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have Eddie Alvarez, who's his friend and yep. doesn't want to fight him. Yep. But uh, he also said very clearly that he wants to fight Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, whoever wins that fight. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to watch. And that's a smart play by very, Eddie Alvarez. Very, Like We were there when he said that, and yeah. I was like, good for you. He knows where the, uh, he knows yep. where the money's coming from. Absolutely. So, and uh, it's funny. I listened to an interview. This is going kind of sideways on this, mm. but – where they were asking Eddie Alvarez, it's like you complain about people getting shots and whatnot who don't deserve it because they talk or they're flashy, you know, and here you are asking, you're going to give Conor McGregor a fight for your title belt. You know, how do you justify that? And he's like, money. And I'm like, all right. I mean, it's a very Conor McGregor answer. Right. But at the same time, it's very true. Like, yeah. You make the money while you can. Yeah, you can't, you can't blame him. You can't blame him. And, and your perspective changes a bit. When you're no longer the scrappy, hungry challenger, but you know the king on, uh, sitting on that throne. So let's say Edson Barboza keeps winning. Yeah. And Eddie Alvarez keeps winning. How? And this is getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> For sure, especially with the way, how tumultuous that division is, right? Well, all divisions. Yeah. Well, that's like, true. That's true. With the exception of 125. <laughs> that's true. Um, where? How long does Barboza sit in the wings and wait until he's like, "Hey, Eddie, eight in a row, running out of people." My yeah, turn. that'll that'll test it, right? That'll test their loyalty. That'll test how well each man thinks they can do without the camp, the coaches, the teammates, the sparring partners that got them to that level. That's a good question. I don't have insight into their into their particular mindsets and and, and their camp. I haven't spoken to either one of them about that. I, <laughs> the, I if I have to believe somewhere in the dark recesses of Barboza's minds, uh, mind. Even if it's not conscious, he's thinking, yeah, the title will be in someone else's hand eventually, and, and I'll just go after it. Like, I don't think he could probably bring himself into thinking that because it implicitly you know, is saying that uh, his, his buddy and his training partner won't hold on to it long. But, I mean, it's nothing against Eddie Alvarez. That just anyone can win in any given night there. But, yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. Barbosa's younger, but he's not that young, you know. He, he, he doesn't really get paid well enough to, to sit around and fight anybody and be happy. And the more people you – see, we talk about the, the, it being tumultuous at the top. The reality is anyone in the top 50 can beat anyone, <laughs> anyone else in the top 50. So it's always a risk when you're a top contender and you're in these, these tough situations where maybe you don't want to fight uh, the champion because they're your teammate, like with Daniel Cormier at heavyweight with Cain Velasquez when, when his teammate Cain was, was a champion. It's a tough thing. It worked out for Daniel. It hasn't worked out for other people. Uh, if you're looking strictly at, at them getting their shot, because you might get beat by someone else. Tony Ferguson, uh, I, I think, is a number one lightweight contender, uh, title contender, um, and, and he had to fight a, a last-minute replacement who was making his UFC debut, 
and he almost got knocked out in the first round. Like, it's, just, it's dangerous. It's dangerous with anyone even remotely close to the UFC level at this point. So it's a risky thing for Barboza not to take the fight if they give it to him. Yeah. You know, tough decisions. Yeah. Ahead. But uh, we have some guests uh, lined up, and we uh, are running late, so we yep. don't want to keep them waiting. So let's touch to the, on the main event. Um, Holly Holm fought Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, I think a lot of people expected Holm to win. And I don't want to say win easily, but, but win in pretty fairly clear fashion. And she lost and maybe lost badly. Yeah. Uh, I think most people had it four rounds to one Valentina. I know. I, I think did. that's how I did. Yeah. yeah same here. Um, Holm came out, knocked her down in the first round, and it looked like, all right, here we go. This isn't going the distance. And it did, and Valentina won. Um, so what were your thoughts on that fight in general? I was definitely surprised. I thought, I kind of thought of it broadly as two great strikers, except with a big size difference between them. Holly Holming, the much bigger fighter here. And so I, that's why I picked her in large part. And we saw that power play out early, like you said, but uh, I, I loved the fight because I didn't have like a rooting interest per se in that uh, at all. But I loved the fight because I saw, you know, the, the smaller fighter make some real, real impressive adjustments. And also, I'd never before seen anyone fight Holly Holm and manage distance better than she did. She's a master of that. She'll throw those, those charging one-two punch combinations, one-two, 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 and you think if you, if you survive those, you think you're out of punching range, and you may be, but you're not out of kicking range. That's how she finished Ronda Rousey. Valentina just was so slick. She'd back up a little bit, slip a punch, and then counter with a leg kick or counter with a right a lead hook. Uh, she did some cool things like... I believe a leg kick into a takedown. She took Holly Holm down three times. Ronda Rousey couldn't do that. I'm not sure if Misha Tate got three in her whole fight. Very, very cool fight to see a smaller underdog just like persevere and succeed because of, uh, of slick technique and, and guts. Yeah, it, and she, you talk about Ronda Rousey. She, it's almost like she used Holm's blueprint from mm. Ronda Rousey against her. You know, like when Holm fought Rousey, the big thing was don't let her get a hold of you. So. Rousey would come in, he, Holm would hit her before Rousey could even start to throw a punch, and she was gone. And it was kind of not to that extent, but similar. Yeah. She, she relied on her ability to counter. Totally. And she just controlled the fight. And in that third round, she, she uh, struck, outstruck her the first portion of the round, took her to the ground, and just held her there to win. I mean, that's just, like, smart. She knew it was probably not the most entertaining, but she right. did what she had to do. Absolutely. You know, she got her to the – she knew she outstruck her. She got her to the ground, and then she hung on to the to win that round. And, uh, you know, that might have been the turning point at that that point. You know, home might have felt a little mm. um, helpless then. Couldn't have, couldn't have felt good. So, going forward, the Bantamweight division has just been utter chaos. Yeah, I love it. Do you think there's some talk – that the UFC mishandled things? I, I don't. I think, you know, if we would have still had a dominant champion and no one's touching, then the, the, narr the, criti the critical narrative would invariably would have been, oh, this is no good. There's just, this is a one-woman division. This is not good. There's no parity. And we see now that there is. There's a lot of parity at the top. There's, there's a number of people that have claimed to that top, that top challenger spot. Um, and it, we see... We see we, we see how how much the uh, these 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 female bantamweights are improving, how skilled they are, because when there's highly skilled fighters in a division, any any type of fighting sport, male or female, when they're really really good, it's all about matchups, and so we're seeing different matchups, and that's why I believe we're seeing 
different champions and different number one contenders. Holly Holm, it turns out, because she improved her wrestling so much, was a really bad matchup for Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey will always be a bad matchup for Misha Tate, but Misha Tate was able to beat Holly Holm. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy, but I think it just it shows improvement and the high level of skill, personally. Now they've got more stars. Holly Holm does great numbers, I've found. Um, I think Misha Tate is very popular. Now they've got at least three stars. Who knows what can happen with, with Valentina or with the new champion, Amanda Nunes. I think, I think we just have more stars, which is a good thing because you, you, you rely too much uh, on one fighter. It's not good for promotion. Uh, this is definitely good because even, I don't know, how much do we even care about the promotion, right? We should just care, care about them being good fighters and good fights, and they're definitely improving. Valentina is a lot better than she was even a year ago, in my view. I mean, outside of maybe Gilbert Melendez, you could claim that Holm was a star alone on this card. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think, I think she's more famous than Gilbert Melendez just because of her, her, her great win over uh, Ronda Rousey. And she had an incredible reaction yeah. from the crowd and support. Um, maybe not quite the uproar that Herrick had, but very vocal. You could tell clearly that she was the star yeah. in that matchup between the two. Um, but I think a lot of people are like, well, I bet the UFC has to be kicking themselves that they didn't run back home Tate for UFC 200 because now you've invited Nunez and Valentina in the party instead of keeping this trio of home Rousey and Tate alive, yeah. clinging on to when and if Rousey comes back. Like, you know, now Rousey comes back and she's fighting Amanda Nunez and with no history. I mean, does it impress the casual fan? Probably not. Yeah. Colin Cowherd probably won't talk about it as much. Uh, but I would be really intrigued to yeah. see how Rousey would handle Amanda Nunez. Absolutely. And I think it's either way, Rousey's return is Rousey's return. That's big. She could be fighting a wet paper bag, and people are going to be like, oh, crap, it's Ronda Rousey. Uh, and if they do a more logical in terms of competitiveness and fairness type of thing and give her someone who's also coming off of a loss, well, you got plenty of options there, don't you? you got a third fight. you got a whatever, 13th fight with Misha Tate. You've got her a chance to avenge her loss against Holly Holm. I think they have more options than they did before. So I, I have no problem with it personally. I think the parity and, you know, the turnover has just been fascinating. Mm -hmm. I think it makes me more interested to see what happens next I in agree. the division. But Amanda Nunes wins. She's kind of in a holding pattern to see if Rousey comes back yeah. or if she's going to fight someone else as her first title defense. What is your opinion? Does she wait to, for Rousey or does she move on to the next? I think she's going to try to wait for Rousey. <laughs> she replied right away to Valentina Shevchenko's call out of her. She wants a rematch. She had a close fight. Not too many months ago, Valentina just beat the former world champ. She wanted it. What did Nunes say on Twitter? Uh, you got to fight. Why don't you fight Juliana uh, Pena, who we didn't even talk about, who's also a top contender because she just who, beat Kent Zingano. And who might be uh, Nunes' next fight if Rousey doesn't come back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know why she's telling her to fight Pena. Like, that, <laughs> that, could, that could be your fight. It could be, but maybe she's holding out. She's like, I, who knows what, what injuries she has. Maybe she's hoping her next fight is the big money fight against Ronda Rousey. Or maybe she knows something that we don't. Yeah. Um, we want to wrap up before we move on to the next things, but there's uh, an issue in Chicago that we wanted to talk oh, yeah. about since we're a Chicago-based uh, podcast. So we're going to go a little off the rails, non-MMA. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Michael Jordan, who obviously played for the Bulls and is a huge figure in Chicago, uh, released a statement on um, a number of things in the United States, yeah. basically to boil it down to what it's uh, generally about. So... Um, do you have the statement pulled up? I do. I can read, I can read some of it. 
Michael Jordan said, I can no longer stay silent. And he's talking about violence from police, police killings of, of civilians, and also civilians killing police officers. And it, that caught my attention right away because Michael Jordan, if it wasn't basketball or selling us gym shoes, has pretty much been silent his whole public life. Uh, he says, as a proud American, a father who lost his own dad in a senseless act of violence, and a black man, I have been deeply troubled by the deaths of African Americans at the hand of law enforcement and angered by the cowardly and hateful targeting and killing of police officers. I agree with the families who have lost loved ones as I know their pain all too well. Since I was raised by parents who taught me love and respect, uh, to love and respect people regardless of their race or background, so I'm saddened and frustrated. And he goes on to say that he, had, he has had really great interactions and relationships uh, with, with law enforcement. But also, quote, I also recognize that for many people of color, their experiences with law enforcement have been different than mine. I've decided to speak out in the hope that we can come together as Americans and through peaceful dialogue and education achieve constructive change. To support that effort, I'm making contributions of $1 million each to two organizations, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, newly established Institute for Community Police Relations, and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. The Institute for Community Police Relations policy and oversight work is focused on building trust and promoting best practices in community policing. So I'll end quote. I'll end there. But, I, you know, for most public figures, this would be a pretty uh, middle-of-the-road, maybe not super controversial uh, action. But, again, for someone who has always just tried to say nothing, whether it was about sweatshop labor of, of, of Nike apparel, whether it was about segregationist... Um, politicians in his home state of North Carolina, or even maybe about recent North Carolina legislation uh, uh, against uh, gay rights. He, he really doesn't say anything. He's always had this brand. He uh, perhaps apocryphally was once quoted as, you know, Republicans vote too. And, you know, it's kind of defensive why he didn't speak up on, on certain issues. So to me, for Michael Jordan to say, I'm giving, I'm, I'm standing on the side of a different approach to policing. You know, the, the, the language there was, was, was about community policing. Not all departments train and, and operate the same, uh, and some are taking an approach of quote-unquote police, uh, community policing, which is a lot less adversarial. Um, there's a lot of dehumanization that goes on on both sides when there are at least perceived both sides with cops feeling besieged and also uh, in inner-city neighborhoods a lot of times, and, and then... The, the civilians also feeling a little bit besieged as well with, with police departments that have military-grade equipment and, and have legacies of, of abuse and, and, uh, and brutality. So for Michael Jordan, that, to me, I was surprised by that. I, I was kind of heartened, regardless of if I were to agree or not agree with him, I was heartened by the fact that he decided to say something because he really never, ever does. And he put his, his money uh, you know, where his mouth was, which is always much better than just talk. I think people for a long time have wanted him to speak out, yeah. and I think people will react well uh, to him speaking out. I think so. And the more people speaking out against senseless violence against anyone, the better. 100%. Um, you know, I'm originally from Dallas, so that incident particularly struck out to me. It was kind of one of those moments where you always see it happen on the TV, mm. or you always see it happen, and you're like, man, I can't believe this is happening again. But for me, at least personally, it's never been something that happened close to home or somewhere where I recognized. Um, I lived in Connecticut for a little while, so that Sandy Hook incident kind of maybe stood out to me a little bit more. But, you know, this stuff happened in Dallas 
less than a mile from where I lived. Wow. And, you know, I, you watch all the stuff on the news and you see it and you're like, man, I know exactly where that is. Like, I've been there all the time. Mm. And uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just enough. Absolutely. So, the more, yeah. Like you said, the more people that can speak up about it, the better. Yeah. Um, the more dialogue, the better. We don't all have to initially agree, but we've got to be talking about something. Right. And I don't think everybody needs to be so set in one solution. You know, both sides see different things. There needs to be, there's a right solution. Nobody has the right answer. Sure. The only, you know, that's um, kind of something we tell our, our staff on Fansided is, you know, I don't have all the ideas and pitches, you know, give me your ideas mm. and let's work and see if we can make it this idea or this you know whatever better um and you know that's the same thing that happens here so uh we'll see how things progress yeah but but good on mj for for speaking his heart when you're an executive there's no real upside to getting involved in anything resembling politics but so we got to assume he cared and and you know that's a good reason to do anything right and uh to switch gears back to mma yeah man we have robbie lawler uh lined up to jump on and talk to us for a little bit um, first, I just wanted to do one more plug. Uh, Extra Rounds podcast, we're going to drop it into iTunes. We're going to drop it into uh, Google Play. We're going to drop it into TuneIn, the app, if you have that. Uh, make sure to follow Extra Rounds on Twitter. We'll be able to give you all the information about where you can download and listen routinely and when we eventually get this going live, uh, when to tune in and who's going to be coming on and whatnot. But uh, to recap, we have three stars from UFC 201 joining us. We have oh, Robbie right. Lawler. We have Rose Namahunas and Tyrone Woodley all coming in to talk about their fight this Saturday in Atlanta, UFC 2-1, Phillips Arena. So first we have uh, Robbie. Robbie, how are you? Yep, no problem. All right. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware, but when we were uh, looking at things, we looked at things, and we discovered that you were currently the second longest tenured title holder in the UFC at least in terms of days, not necessarily title defenses, but at least in terms of days. Did you know that? And uh, how does that accolade make you feel? Um, doesn't really change anything. I just need to go <laughs> out there and, and uh, beat somebody up and, and retain it uh, longer. Uh, doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Doesn't matter. Just uh, try to get better every day and and stay grounded and make sure that I'm taking the steps to keep my belt. Uh, Robbie Elias here. I interviewed you, I believe, I believe last year, uh, briefly at a scrum in Las Vegas. And at the time, one of the things that I, I asked you about that I was most fascinated by was your breakneck schedule. You're in these most, more often than not, brutal fights. You're having quick turnarounds before having going into another brutal fight. And, you know, you, you talked about getting breaks wherever you could if you if you needed a break in camp take a day or two off you wouldn't just be fixated on and driving through so you, you said these little breaks kind of help you so fast forward to now this preparation for tyron woodley at 201 i've noticed you've been traveling a lot i saw you at ufc 199 in june in los angeles I saw you and some of your coaches i saw you with kami uh and um and owner and um, Dan Lambert and Richie Guerrero, the general manager of ATT at uh, UFC 200 in Vegas. I guess my point is you've been traveling a lot during a training camp, which is pretty exceptional. A lot of times people just try to you know, shut off the world as they're getting ready for a big fight. Was this about giving yourself breaks? Like, Why did you decide to do so much traveling 
uh, as you were preparing uh, for, for this next title defense? Yeah, I had a couple guys I knew fighting on uh, 199, so I wanted to go uh, to watch that. But I made sure I trained up and to there hard, and then I used, used that as a couple extra days of, of rest. So I pretty much got, uh, what was it, Friday and Saturday off and took Sunday off too. So wasn't too much rest there. And uh, I like to watch fights before my fight, and then I wanted to go see uh, – one of the biggest fights uh, in UFC history at 200 and uh, be around there and, and check it out. And I made sure I worked out when I was there and uh, a couple of my coaches were there, so we got some good work in. Now, you said that you wanted to go to UFC 200 as a fan. Overall, as a fan, what was your experience like? Um, I was, it was what it was. It was... Uh, a spectacle with some, uh, some some good fights here and there. <laughs> Fair enough. There's a lot of uh, talk about your division leading up to UFC 200. Some people thought that Conor McGregor could be going for the welterweight belt at UFC 200 or after Nate Diaz won, that maybe you would be defending your belt against Nate Diaz at UFC 200. Um, then there was all this talk about Georgia St. Pierre coming back. Uh, there's all these names being thrown out there. What are your thoughts about all the potential matchups out there and the big names? Um, I really did not think about any of them. It was just one of those things where uh, I just concentrate on myself, and there's lots of names that pop up, and uh, most of the time they don't pan out, and uh, so I don't really worry too much about those. Robbie, it makes sense that you're not thinking about options that you don't have as you're preparing for a very specific guy in a very specific fight. But if you were to force yourself now to think about a, a dream matchup uh, among maybe, maybe some of these names that have been mentioned, is there a guy that if you did care about these types of things, you, you might want to go after, whether it be like a Nick Diaz, who you fought, I believe, back in 2004, uh, whether it be George St. Pierre, who obviously is one of the greatest uh, fighters of all time, retired, thinking about coming back, and has a history with your friend and teammate Matt Hughes. If you had to force yourself, uh, or would you force yourself to think about uh, choosing a dream matchup uh, right now? Nope, there's not one out there. <laughs> but I think that. Is, that. is that a mentality that you've always had since the beginning of your career, Robbie? Uh, just focusing on what's at hand and not caring about things that may or may not be in your control, or is that something you you've been able that you that you developed over time as you matured? Uh, no, I just don't uh, worry too much about those kinds of things, and just worry about the task at hand, and uh, and that's not. I don't really. That's a valuable thing to be able to do. Yeah, that it. I mean, if you can do it, then you know, without those distractions, it's got to be helpful. It, now, you and your opponent are in an interesting situation. You're fighting each other for a big prize, but you also represent the same team, American Top Team. It, it seems clear from interviews that Tyron Woodley at least a little bit resents the fact that you're flying that flag most prominently because he was a member of American Top Team for, for a lot longer than, than you or a lot prior to you joining the team. Does him being irritated irritate you? Uh, it, 
doesn't bother me at all because it doesn't really take up too much time. I'm just worried about the task at hand, uh, which is going out there and trying to beat somebody up. So that's really what I concentrate on, and uh, that's just a storyline that people keep going to and uh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you run around in the same circles, essentially. Is it at all interesting being around the same coaches or the same group of people leading up to fights? No, because he's never really used he's never used my coaches. Uh, there's a lot of coaches at ATT, and he's not here very often, hasn't been here very often, so it's not weird. Well, Narabi, what is your career end game? You're at your best, perhaps, of, at any point in your long career, but you've been doing it a long time. Um, are there things you still want to accomplish, or is it just simply about doing something you love and that you're great at for as long as you love doing it, as long as you're, you're great at doing it? Yeah, I'm just uh, one of those things where I'm just doing it as long as I can, just doing the best I can, and, and as long as I'm still growing and getting better and still love what I'm doing and, and still willing to get up and grind every day uh, with all the young bucks, uh, then I'm going to continue to do it. And with your run of title defenses, you're building an impressive resume, becoming a dominant champion. Uh, do you find yourself thinking at all about your legacy and how you'll be perceived when you do decide to walk away? Uh, no, because i got to go one fight at a time. I, uh, mm -hmm. This next fight's the most important thing going on right now. It's, it's Life's a lot easier if you worry about one step at a time, one day at a time, and you don't worry about the end picture. Uh, then it becomes huge. Uh, you might not be able to handle it. So it's easier to just uh, work every day for a goal in the end and do the best that you can and just figure out a way to do your best. That's, that's it. And uh, My coaches are doing a good job of getting me ready, and um, hopefully at the end uh, all the fans appreciate what I put together. And obviously, Robbie, you're not going to give away your, your strategy or your, your tactics, but I'm curious when you look at a matchup like this or you look at any matchup, you've been fighting – amazing fighters your whole career. In your mind, on your best days, what separates you from your opponents? What's the difference between you uh, and your opponents, whether it's physical, mental, skill-wise, anything? Uh, probably the scorecard. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, when, you're not, when you're not able to knock people out, you, you definitely come on the, the, the top end. But like, how, how do you, what do you think is the... Uh, is a key to getting there. Like, what what characterizes you as a as a fighter? If you if you had a if you had to synthesize it, I have no idea what the other guys thinking out there. First of all, so I'm just doing my best and trying to get there and uh, and try to knock people out. And uh, if I can't knock them out, hopefully I win on the scorecards. I mean, that's as basic as that. Just try not to get hurt. Try to do as much punishing as I can and. Uh, Stick to the basics. This game's uh, pretty simple. Now, you've been in some wars. UFC 189, Roy McDonald, uh, the Carlos Condit fight. Um, at UFC 189, there's that iconic image of you standing in the middle of the cage, bloody, lip-torn, Roy McDonald staring back at you right in the face. No, neither one of you has given up your ground and going to your corner. Um, 
do you relish these kinds of wars, these long drawn out battles, these intense fights? Do you, do you relish these situations? Um, I think I'm at home there. I mean, uh, that's not something I go into a fight and, uh, hope is going to happen. But, uh, if it goes to that, uh, goes to that point in a fight, I'm ready and, and I'm capable and I'm willing to do what it takes to get the job done. And, uh, but that's never the plan to go out there and, and be in those kind of wars. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us, uh, during, what is a busy week leading up to UFC 201. We really, really appreciate it. Um, so best of luck to you. Cool. Thank you. All right. And that was uh, Robbie Lawler. First official guest yeah. on Next Round Podcast, aside from what we did with Gilbert and Valentina. Right. I don't want to the little teaser preview stuff. Yeah, yeah. First full episode guest. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a great one. You don't, get, you, don't get a, you don't get better as a fighter than Robbie Lawler, and you don't get more loquacious as a speaker than <laughs> Robbie Lawler. <laughs> so I love Robbie. Yeah, And um, he's really entertaining. He's like, um, when he fights, it's must watch. Oh, yeah. And, but interviewing him is always <laughs> interesting because he's not a guy who just likes to talk a lot. Right. Uh, he gave some good answers where sure. he opened up a little bit, but he's, he's uh, very to the point. Yeah. yeah. And as media members, sometimes we like somebody who's a little bit chattier. But uh, still fun to talk to him yeah and i think you know it's uh it's very reminiscent of his fighting style he gets there you know he has, he has a job to do <laughs> he goes in to get it done it doesn't need to take longer than uh than it, than it than it needs to and if it goes longer than he wants it to he'll still be ready and i think probably most interviews go longer than to robbie than, than he wants him to go <laughs> but but you know what though you, you still get an i think you get a little a little uh you you get a picture of where he's at mentally uh, leading into a fight. And I think that's the most valuable thing. And I think the message he's trying to put out there is I am focused, not on the storyline, not on any personal beef, not about us sharing a team. I'm focused on winning. I don't care how I win. I don't exactly know what they're going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm, I'm confident that I'm prepared for whatever hell may happen in that cage. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, that's insightful enough if you, if you realize it for what it is. Yeah, and he did let his little per his personality shine through at times. He's just not—he's dry. Yeah, he's just really <laughs> dry. Like, yep. You know how? Oh, what do you think separates you? The the scorecard. Like, <laughs> great answer. Like, you know, but he's he's like one of those guys. He's probably really funny over text messages because he can throw in like the LOL or the JK, and then it's like you know that he's kidding. I just I'd love I love it if he actually do things like LOL and smile. Well, could you imagine him awesome. like? <laughs> be, you like texting him that question like what makes you different and he just responds like scorecard and it's like the crying laughing emoji like afterwards at like three times you know like oh my god this Robbie yeah, Lola guy is fun and then you meet him in person and like he's like tells you a joke with like the straightest face ever <laughs> with, like not even green that's right but uh I mean, great great guy yeah. great uh champion really looking forward to his fight with Tyrone Woodley um oh yeah we have somebody else lined up on the phone do you have any other thoughts about Robbie before we move on no, I mean, other than wanting to, being excited to talk to his opponent uh, in, a, in a few minutes here as well. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to see it. Like you said, it's always must-see TV with Robbie Lawler. And, and, and by the way, when you go up to him in person, he's a really nice guy. He's just, he's stoic, right? He's yeah. stoic and he's dry. He's a good dude. Fans, you know, I see him interact with fans all the time. Guys, you know, feel free to go say what's up to him if you see him out there. He's a good dude. Yeah, don't interpret this the wrong way. I'm not yeah. saying he's, like, intense <laughs> and, like, doesn't like right. socializing yeah, with other human right, beings. Right, right, right. He just has a different 
dry person. Dry is yeah. the best way to go. Yeah, dry yeah. personality. Yeah. He's just, you know, very dry. <laughs> uh, so joining us next, thank you so much for calling in, is Rose Namajunas. She's fighting uh, Carolina. I'm not even going to attempt to say her last name at UFC 201 uh, in a strawweight bout. Could potentially be fighting for the strawweight championship if she were to get a win. Uh, so thank you, Rose, uh, for joining the Extra Rounds podcast. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Rose, we, Mike and I were both at uh, your, your last fight, I believe, and, um, and I, I happened to chat with you and, and, um, and, and Pat Berry as well, your partner, and you guys were, were pretty introspective uh, and, and revealing about things you learned. Now, you're potentially on the cusp of another title shot already but you've got another fight that's not a title fight against uh, an undefeated prospect clearly if you win this the talk is going to be about you getting another title shot you fought for the world title you fought for the world title the first time you know it was available you won you won tough or you you know you you went through the season of tough and then you fought Esparza, Carla Esparza for the belt it wasn't that long ago but you've done a lot since then how have you grown since that first fight what if anything have you learned and how, how are you different from that first title fight being pretty darn close to another one potentially right now like the main thing has just been like my patience level my controlling my emotions and um and also my my work ethic has gone through the roof and just my um it's just my desire to to want this you know to want this lifestyle to want to um reach you know greatness or achieve greatness so um that mentally has definitely been a big part of my success and 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 my change and focus but then also um technically there's been so many improvements just with my boxing my my jab is just like the best Mm. ever nobody can out jab me um I feel, you know, my combination, my boxing, just this particular camp, I've been uh, reached new, like, levels and, and broke through barriers in my striking. Um, and then my wrestling and grappling has always gotten better. And, um, yeah, so everything you, all around. You it sound like you're enjoying yourself. Like, are you enjoying this whole process, this, this grind, this difficult lifestyle more than, than, than you used to? Yeah, because um, it kind of just like, you know, I kind of breezed through the alternate fighter house like it was just like, dang, like almost too easy, you know, in a way I was going to be the the youngest um, UFC champion ever in the history. And like I had accomplished all these things and had, um, you know, great things that, you know, it just almost seemed too good to be true in a way, you know, like, and it almost was like it got to the point where it was like it wasn't hard enough, you know, and like when something... Um, and then, so I took it for granted and I kind of just got lazy and, and then I, I was quickly reminded, you know, in this sport, yeah. once, it, once you think things are easy, it's, it'll, it'll, uh, smack you right in the face and, um, it's just not that way. So that's kind of just something that I had to learn. Now, a lot of people think you probably already earned a title shot. Um, Dana White came out and said one to two fights away. Obviously if you have one fight ahead of you. Uh, what do you think? Do you feel ready for a title shot? Yeah, I feel I feel like a title shot is next, you know. Obviously, I have to just make sure I focus on this one, you know, and don't start living in the future, you know, because that's where things go south, you know. So I just 
you know, um, my, my, every day I'm waking up is thinking about a, 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 being a champion. So for me, it's not even like the, the fight, whether a belt's on the line or not, it doesn't matter. I'm living every day as a champion. Uh, you talk about waking up, living like a champion. Um, it's a really fascinating mentality, and I think one that every fighter has to have. Uh, is this new, or is this something you've developed over time? This is something that, you know, um, I, I mean, I think it's always been kind of like the general idea or the general approach that I have towards life, you know, just doing everything that you are, whatever you're doing, if it is, if you're just cleaning your room, you're, 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 you're organizing something, you're driving, you know what I'm saying, you're, you're doing your hair, you do it to the fullest, you don't, you don't half-ass anything, so for me, that's just a champ championship lifestyle, that's just a championship mindset. Um, it's just more now, it's, it's, um, it's just kind of, you know, I've just attached the name champion to it, I've attached you know, the label of a champion. Like, I don't really like labels, you know, because I don't like to do things with a certain result in the end, you know? Like, I think the belt will be cool to have because that's going to be a symbol of what I've done and stuff like that, but it's not. But I don't like to label myself, you know, because I feel like it's bigger than that. You know, I live every day um, trying to be the best person that I could possibly be. So, to me, that means more than anything than having the actual physical belt. Rose Elias here again. I, I talked with, with Pat a couple fights ago and, and leading into, I forget which exact, which exact fight it was for you. But I, I, you know what? It was before the Pedro and Zant fight. And he said one of the things that you all as a, as a team, all, you and all your coaches had, had, had kind of focused on was maybe dropping the, the thug from the Rose, right? Your thug Rose, Nama Yunus. And he talked, he seemed to be saying that maybe in the past there were times when you would put too much pressure on your shoulders with trying to be that that image that that thug image of you know hey i've got to not only do i have to go out there and just win or do my best i've got to prove that like i'm the baddest this and that out there uh, is that accurate in your mind and, and where are you with that mindset and with that identity now there maybe <laughs> maybe we did maybe we didn't uh, okay try to get her back on here let's see let's see maybe she had to hang up and think about it because it was a really deep question you know? it was a really deep I'll question I'll call you back Elias uh Let's see. You there? Did you hear the question? Um, oh, there we go. No, I think that, cool. uh, I, you know, there's just, like, it's, it's not even pressure. That I, I mean, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself just, like, to be good and be great and, and accomplish things that, you know, people don't think, like, normally think that are, uh, uh, you know, possible. So that is the type of pressure I put on myself. Um you know, I don't walk around trying to be, you know, a mean person or like trying to be tough or this and that. You know, I mean, it's it's not yeah. that. Um, it's a, it's like it, when things are when when outside distractions in my life that I, you know, when I get emotional about those things and they carry over into my fighting. That's where that's where that that um, you know, stubbornness and that that greedy attitude doesn't serve me well. When it's mm -hmm. like ain't nothing gonna phase me, and actually, that's like when it when I when I emulate the true definition of a thug, where nothing affects you, and like 
you just whatever you just mm. cool and you're happy and you're 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 unaffected by life you know but you're honest about it when it is when it is affecting you you're not trying to play it off like whatever you know that's the yeah. true meaning of the book like not like acting like you're hard and acting like nothing affects you when it really does and then when in the times where and then and then not letting just petty stuff affect you either you know great answer uh focusing back on ufc 201 um which is a saturday uh you're fighting carolina does this particular fighter matchup excite you in any kind of way Yeah, I think I, I'm very excited to fight Carolina because she goes in there and she puts everything on the line. She's not, like, you know, trying to play it safe. And um, she's, she tries to go out there and hurt you, you know. So, for me, that's, like, what's exciting about it, you know. To me, um, it, it's it's scary at the same time. It's also, like, that's the reason why we do it. You know, we challenge ourselves and we push ourselves and we put – we're adrenaline junkies. We want to get in a firefight with people, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. Now, Carolina's Polish. Joanna, who's the strawweight champion, is Polish. Have you uh, thought at all about the fact that she could be fighting Polish fighters back-to-back? She's not responding to your race baiting, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's cool, I guess, but I haven't, I mean, it doesn't really make a difference to me. Okay, and uh, there's always talks about weight divisions. We were talking earlier in the show about uh, women's MMA and how the bantamweight division has been so entertaining to watch. Uh, the strawweight division, likewise, has been really entertaining to watch. Um, there's been discussion about a flyweight uh, division. We've seen a flyweight bout. Uh, what is your opinion? Do you think there needs to be a 125-pound division for women? Can you hear us? Give us Let's have a bad, bad connection. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I don't really pay attention to who's in, even in the 125 division. I'm sure that there's a lot of girls that would go down and stuff from the 135, but I don't really – I'm not really concerned about weight classes. I never really cared. Like, um, to me, I've fought above a weight class before, you know, and um, – it's just a fight to me, you know. I don't think weight classes make you a better fighter, you know, like like cutting weight or or gaining weight. I just think that being a better fighter makes you a better fighter. So, um, to me, you know, if they add it, they add it. That's great, you know, because then I could go up. But if not, like I'm I'm totally fine with that too. Well, Rose, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to the two of us before yeah. your uh, fight at UFC 201. Uh, we're both really. I'm excited to see you fight again, especially after that thrilling fight uh, in December. So thank you. Best of luck to you at uh, UFC 201. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. So there we have it. Rose Namahunas joining us, second ever guest on Extra Rounds Podcast. And giving us the true definition of a thug. I love that. Couldn't have asked for anything more from Thug Rose Namahunas than to really honestly and earnestly talk about what she thinks makes a true thug and, and that mentality. And that's cool, man. I, I really, I love it. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have asked for a better answer than that. I thought it was really interesting how she was going on about how um, it's not about acting tough. Right. That it's more about the mentality of um, 
doing anything. Yeah, being unaffected by yeah, being unaffected by things, not letting things change your course. Yeah, and uh, which just goes to show you that this is a word word that can be misconstrued. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's fascinating to hear what it means to her versus to what it means to everybody else or whoever else perceives it. And uh, you know that that was eye opening up in uh, in itself. Um, But what do you think about the matchup with her and Carolina? I think it's a good one. Uh, I I want to say. Rose has the advantage because I believe she has much better submission skills. That said, I bet Carolina's tough to submit, and I think she hits pretty dang hard on the feet. I, I feel like if Rose employs that jab again and, and, and lets her hands fly, she might have a speed advantage with her, with her strikes on the feet. But I, think it's a really, I think it's a really tough fight for, for both women, personally. I think it's going to be just exciting to yeah, watch. for sure. This... Uh you know, the style matchup in itself. Um, and just the, like, not to keep harping on the divisions, but they're just so intriguing to mm-hmm. me. And the straw weight, like that was one of the early criticisms of the straw weight division. Like there is in the Bantamweight now, there was so much parody and so much chaos. Uh, but now it's like the straw weight division is the one that stabilized with Joanna yeah. as champion. And, um, but there's great fighters in that division and these are two of them and it's going to be an incredible showdown. Oh yeah. I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think there's, real legitimate uh, title contenders in that division. I mean, Claudia, could, she has a good argument to say, let's run this back again. Let's, let's fight again. They probably won't do it, but the fight's close enough where it's warranted. So it's, it's pretty cool. I think you both have a lot of competition and close fighting at the top while still having a dominant champion. Like, it's, it's, in some way, like it's, it's kind of cool. It's right. about the best of both worlds, yeah. Does that make sense even? Yeah. Like, it, like, like, it does, <laughs> but it's like the MMA world. Like, it makes sense. It shouldn't, but it makes sense. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right, well, who do you think wins, Rose or... Carolina. I think if it goes if it goes long, I definitely give Rose the advantage. She shows her ability to to keep a high clip, a high rate of activity uh, later into fights with great conditioning, um, and I, and I don't think it'll be finished quickly. So I, I'll I'll pick Rose. I'll pick Rose to win it. I think Rose has a lot of momentum behind her, and I yeah. think uh, she'll get the win. And it, and it, it would be interesting to see her get the win and get a title shot. Um, Though Carolina winning and there being a Polish versus Polish yeah. uh, fight potentially, you know, if they've done an event in Warsaw or Poland, I believe, before, right? Yeah, they, they went to Poland for sure. I forget where it was. Yeah, if they did another one, that would be Yeah, or huge, just bring it to Chicago. Massive. Well, <laughs> I'm yeah, down with that. Joanna uh, was at UFC on Fox 20 yeah. in Chicago, and she was talking about the Pol- – like, that was part of the reason why she wanted to come to Chicago cool. to be for these fights was because of the Polish audience. That's cool. And um, she said that she would love to fight in Chicago. Now, Chicago gets like one event a year. Yeah, and right. So yeah. that probably won't happen. It'd be too far down the line That's unless true. they gave Joanna a couple other people before Carolina got sure. a title shot if she were to get past Rose. But Joanna's uh, also been campaigning to fight in New York really heavily for that same yep. reason, the Polish population. Smart. So personally... I'd like to see it in Chicago. For sure. But Can't get enough of you as a fighter. That's me being selfish. Of course, I think there should be more than one fight in Chicago. Oh, tell me about but, it. You know, that's a, that's a topic for a different day. We've got to hit that season right, right? Like we, they used to come in the winter, which is brutal because people are going to get hypothermia. And now they're coming when it's, you know, 200 degrees in the shade and 300% humidity. Well, last summer they came and it was like there was one week where it was 90 degrees and miserable. And it was the week that they came. Yep. And this summer has just been pretty awful <laughs> all along. But it's like September, I think, is the sweet spot. There you go. You know, you come maybe May. 
And you know, you get that spring and it's not it cool. Yeah. It's not hot. It's nice. September would be like ideal. That'd be ideal. The other thing is like during the summer, there's all, there's the lake, which is distracting. Mm -hmm. There's, you, I don't know if you remember when Gilbert came in, they were talking about having to drive up here and drive past everyone on the beach. That's true. And, uh, a lot of distractions, a lot of yeah. things to do in Chicago in the summer right. other than watch fights, right? Yeah, so. I was like, oh, I got to go talk to these guys <laughs> at the beach. Um, and anyways, uh, we have one more guest joining us, Tyrone Woodley. That's a good one. Uh, joining us by phone, he is fighting Robbie Lawler in the main event of UFC 201 for the long-awaited welterweight title shot at the Phillips Arena. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining the Extra Rounds podcast and for being one of the first guests on the show. It means a lot to the both of us that oh, you yeah. would uh, take the time out to talk to us. Um, so let's, we know you're short on time and this is running late, so let's jump right into things. Uh, it's been a long road to this title shot. You've been out of action for over a year, not entirely your fault. You had opponents drop out. Johnny Hendricks couldn't make weight at UFC 192. Then there has been talk about Conor McGregor or George St. Pierre fighting for the title and you are left in the wings. Um, so how did you deal with that? How did you harness all that and turn it into motivation essentially? You know, it's just like this. I got to be realistic. You know, some of us, we don't want to be realistic. You know, Conor McGregor is a huge draw. It would make sense for them to try to put together a fight against Conor McGregor and Robbie if he would have beat um, Jerry Dos Anjos, you know, or if GSP came back or if Nick Diaz wasn't suspended and he beat Robbie. I can understand from a business standpoint how those things are attractive for the UFC. So I just had to basically be realistic for myself, where I'm at right now in my career as far as my star power and my ability to move the needle. But after I'm the champion, I'll never have another fight for the rest of my life that's dependent upon another person. If Connor doesn't beat Nick, if George St. Pierre doesn't come back, if Nick Diaz doesn't get this exemption and get off suspension early, I'll never have to wait around on another person um, in a division before my fight is announced. So I'm just happy and blessed that after this and I'm the world champion, those days in my life are way over and behind me. I will be, you know, I will be the person that's dictating my future. Now, you also drew a hard stance saying that you wanted the title shot next. And I, and I don't want to say you sat out intentionally waiting for the title shot, but you were very adamant that that's what you felt you were owed and that's what you wanted next. Um, and after all you've been through being out of the cage for so long, you finally got the title shot. But looking back, would you do it all the same way again, or the things you would change? Yeah, you know, I, to be honest, this is this just happened because it was supposed to happen, man. Uh, I mean, I would love to take my little thug life moment, and then like, I was just an OG. I said, "F you, <laughs> I ain't fighting, I ain't taking nothing. I'm sitting here, and you ain't got you guys gonna give me this this title shot, and I ain't fighting nobody." I would love to act like that's what happened, but that didn't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> As I said, as I stated earlier, after the fight in January, uh, I was told that I was fighting. I was told to keep it quiet. It wasn't official. It wasn't public. But I was told directly after his fight with Carlos that I was going to fight Robbie. Then, then after that, all the other options and stuff started happening. And I'm just so used to it that I was able to take a deep breath. You know, and I'm, I'm not going to act like I didn't have my moments where I was like, you know, wanting to freaking go go nuts. But I just took a deep breath and I realized I've been at this for a long time. I got to be patient. I got to understand that, you know, you can delay, but you can't deny. I am the best in the world. And I just have to keep telling myself that. So when I get to the point where they call me and say, Tyler, you're going to be fighting Robbie, that I wouldn't be like, oh, no, no, no. Now you want me to fight him. 
mm-hmm. everybody else fell through. Now you want me. Nope, I ain't doing it. I couldn't be all resentful and all, you know, emotional. You can't be emotional in business. And that's the thing I learned a long time ago in college. When you're dealing in business, you can't be emotional. You got to separate those two. And I do that very well. Taran, Elias here. Uh, I saw an interview with you a little bit ago. Unfortunately, I can't remember what it was, but it was a video interview. And they were discussing you and Robbie Lawler both being from American Top Team. It seemed pretty clear in that interview that you resented him being able to fly that flag so prominently right now. You, you mentioned, I think you said something to the effect of, hey, you know, how long has Robbie been there? A couple years? Oh, that's cool. Try 10 years. Bringing out, pointing out the fact that you've been there for about a decade, if not, if not longer, um, on that team. I know you've tried to underscore it, but is, is that something that does upset you? Robbie Lawler getting so much attention, not because he's a champion, but because he is getting so much attention for uh, as an American top team member when you were there far longer than he was? Yeah, I said I always give Tiago Alves the utmost respect. He was the original welterweight of American Top Team. So he's always going to get that seniority to me because I came in as a training partner when he was already in the UFC. I hadn't even had a professional fight yet. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm old school like that where I just give credit and I give respect for his due. Um, I've been there since 2005, 2006. Been there over, over 10 years. And not only was I an amateur fighter, a wrestling coach, a training partner. I've also went out to NCAA training and set up, I'm talking about a straight up booth where I'm mm. passing out flyers, joining the American top team and going to recruit college athletes that are graduating and trying to get them to come to the team. You know, I was a huge part of the reason why American top team started recruiting D1 athletes. It had a whole program surrounded around it because of the type of athlete that I was and the mentality that the wrestlers have that they started bringing D1 wrestlers paying them to come out, you know, have a free uh, room where they didn't have to pay for their housing and the best you could train them to the point where they can get to, um, to, you know, to USC level. Like Kobe Covington mm. is a product of that. He came out there and was on this program, and I was in the UFC. So with that said, you know, I've been a part of so many different facets of the American top. You know, I went to go talk to schools. These are things that I don't need credit for. I don't need a big news article write up. But I've done so many things to positive, positively impact the um, organization. And on top of that, like, guys have this sense of entitlement. Oh, I'm more, a- I'm more ATT than you because I live here. How are you more ATT than me when I own an American top team? I've got a half a million dollars in a gym that I've opened up for the last six years on my own type money. So what better way to put your money where your mouth is and the brand you believe in than to own one? You know what I mean? to go through the ups and downs of owning a gym. You know, when you go to a gym and train, you're training to get yourself better. I mean, just the honest truth. Mm-hmm. You're there because the team or the coaches bring something to the table that makes you better. That's why you're there. You're not there because you're trying to help out ATT. Now, you winning and being a champion, especially he was the first champion they have ever had, yeah, that made the team look awesome. Mm-hmm. But in his original goal was to make himself Become a champion, and that's his reward. You don't, you're not deserved, you're not owed anything else from the American top team. You don't have any more. Your, your benefits and your membership pass doesn't have any extra stars or a platinum trim on it because, you know, you did that. 
Tyron, I want to talk to you about this, about the fight. Maybe it's because you haven't been able to compete in a while and Robbie's been able to uh, defend the belt and have these, these really memorable fights. But for whatever the reason, I feel as though uh, you're, being, you're being largely overlooked. Maybe it's just because you're the challenger and he's, he's a champion. And, and I'm curious, though, you've obviously got a lot, of, a lot of things you bring to the table that you've shown throughout your career and, and, and most recently in the last couple of years. Do you feel that one of the most overlooked things about you uh, in terms of your abilities is your ability to cut the distance so fast? You're able, to, you're able to be out of range and then in range, whether it's to strike or to grab someone and go for takedowns so quickly. Or do you think that's one of the, the main things that people are forgetting when they're overlooking you, or are there other things? I think that's something that people study and they, they plan for. I think every opponent that I fought have known that going in. And it's just something about when I'm far away enough where you think I can't get to you, and all of a sudden I'm all in your face. I think that is a very surprising element that you have to be in there to feel. And sometimes when you feel it, as we've seen with Jay Heron or Carlos Conde, sometimes it's too late. I'm already in your grill. I'm already punching you. And, it, you know, you are pure defense at that moment. Um, I think the most underrated part of my game is how well-rounded I am. Being tough is not a skill set. Being tough is something that you just produce from many years of taking punches and not going down, or, you know, you were just born tough. Tough is an adjective. You describe somebody as they are tough. That's not a skill. Mm-hmm. You look at skills. You know, let's strip this fight down to skills. Who's the better wrestler out of me and Robbie? Who's the better right. rapper out of me and Robbie? Who's the, who's the fastest out of me and Robbie? Who has who has better actually clean boxing technique? You know, so when you think about the skill sets, I'm a better mixed martial artist. I have better skill sets. Now he's tough. He has great cardio. Cardio is also a controllable variable. You can't control how much how much better I'm going to be in wrestling in one training camp. You can't control that. You can't make up for years and years of Division One high level wrestling. In one training camp, you can make up for years and years of high-level position jiu in one training camp. Now, you being tough and you being shape in shape, and what happens when you walk into it with someone that's just as tough, that wants it wants it more than you do, that's willing to freaking put everything on the line, and they have a better skill set, and they just so happen to be faster. And if it, if it comes down to it, they can stand in front of you and bang it out as well, and it's a 50-50 chance of who gets to that button first. Hmm. Robbie has never been. He has never been in the front of a matchup like that. He's always been able to bully. He's always been able to know if I get in the guy's face and I start punching and going back and forth, I'm going to win that battle. He might not win that battle with me. And uh, we know you're short for time and we were running late, so but thank you for hanging on uh, to oh. talk to us. Uh, best of luck to you at your fight at UFC 201 uh, this Saturday, Phillips Arena. Uh, thanks, Tyron. Thank you. And... Uh, that's it. That's all the guests we have for today in the first inaugural episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. Uh, so before we go, let's just kind of uh, break down what we heard. Yeah, man. Well, Tyron is tired of being overlooked, man. He's tired of being overlooked by his own team. He's tired of being overlooked uh, by the world that thinks of him as just like as fast as athletic dude. He's like, I'm a better mixed martial artist than Robbie Lawler, who's one of the best mixed martial artists in history. Uh, it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be something, man. And it's interesting that he used the word the words mixed martial artist yeah. instead of I'm the better fighter. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a That's difference. A good point. 
between being the best mixed martial artist and fighter. Yeah. You know, um, you can interpret that however you want to, but he, I think, specifically phrased it that mm. way for a reason. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. He's trying to underscore, like, the essential grits type of stuff, which it's kind of hard to take that away from Robbie Lawler, right? Like, does anyone enjoy the pit of fire more than Robbie Lawler? Maybe not. Although um, Tyron certainly believes that he's uh, he's as tough or tougher as anyone. He, he he's you're right. He was talking about skill. He's talking about technique and, and saying he's better. And uh, this is a fight that I think you look forward to, and you think this is gonna be another war. Very well could I don't be. See this ending very quickly or decisively <laughs> for either one of them. Yeah, I think they're they're both really really resi- uh, resilient. You know, I think I think the land big shots, and I, I would be surprised if either guy went down real fast. Now, Tyrone's been out for over a year. Yeah. Do you think that affects him? You, it, it has to. In some do way. you believe in ring rust? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely it definitely, uh, it definitely is there, right? There's, there's, you have to get your timing back, and you do a lot of it through sparring, but sparring, if you're working with anyone that cares about you, is not going to have the same intensity and, and uh, even maybe the speed as, as the fight itself. So ring rust is real, but so is rest, recuperation, and healing, right? So it'll be interesting to see how much of the time off uh, benefits T. Wood and how much of it is something he's got he's to work against. And we'll only really know, if any point, you know, at the night of the fight. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's real. I, and I've spent some time with him. Oh. His focus and intensity, like, that's not something fabricated. Mm. That's, that's part of him. At UFC 192 in Houston, of course, before the news about Johnny Hendricks came out, you know, the concourse was where they had the media room, and they were sitting across from each other in a, not a very big space. Mm-hmm. You know, any concourse in an arena, you can visualize, like, how big that is. And you're asking him questions, and he's staring at Johnny Hendricks. Wow, the whole time. And, yeah. Wow. And, you know, that focus is something I really respect mm-hmm. and admire. Um, and you can, you know, every, they're all focused. Yeah. But some more so than others, and it's a lot more clear, like, that mm-hmm. intensity he really focuses on. And I wonder... You know, Robbie's also an intense person. So this is an interesting pairing in that regard, the mental aspect of it. Yeah. I don't think either guy's going to break. I, I think that's right. Yeah. 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 And it just makes you go to wonder, like, how many more of these wars can Robbie take? Well, that's the biggest question. I think he matches up well sk- skill-wise against everyone in the division, frankly. I think Woodley is a real, real threat. But I think Riley, you know, Robbie, from what we've seen of him, matches up well. But yeah, at some point, when you've been doing this since you were 16 or 18 professionally like he has been, taking all those shots, it's at some point you're not going to be able to stand up to them. Who knows when that's going to happen? You know, they, they talk about boxing getting old fast and getting old overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It just becomes evident, you know, in one fight usually, you know. Hopefully, you, know, you never want to see it happen to anyone, but that, that's, that's the biggest question to me, frankly, Mike, is, is when is – and that's the biggest question for me with guys like Robbie or guys like Nate Diaz as well, like – these guys have amazing chins. They have amazing chins. Well, yeah, but they're human, and, and the damage is accruing, and at some point it's going to shut off, you know? Well, you see, with Nate, like, even in the Conor McGregor fight, he's got the scar tissue yeah. that he bleeds just like that. Yeah, yep. You know, yep. and uh, it's almost, if he doesn't bleed during a fight, you know you know he didn't even get touched. <laughs> right. Um, like his brother as well. His brother had that yeah. surgery, right, where they shaved down the bone or the mm-hmm. brow there because uh, so much scar tissue had, had accumulated that, just the, the the bone touching his skin was was you know was irritated when you would press on it in any way. So yeah, those guys, uh, the Diaz brothers, Lawler, been doing it, been doing this since they were teenagers, literally at a very very high level. And 
it ain't a video game. You know, you can't, you, the health bar doesn't go all the way back. Right. You know, <laughs> you can't be shot four times and then no. duck behind a rock no. and then you're back at hundred percent. That's what makes these people so amazing. You know, it really is the fact that they, that we can kind of forget that they're, that they're human, you know? Right. So who do you think wins? I think the matchup on the spot. Yeah, I think the matchup favors Lawler. Like he hasn't given us a reason recently to doubt him, including his his takedown defense. Right? Like I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a a wrestler, so I can't break down the real differences between Woodley's style and Johnny Hendricks style. And I and I've been told that by good wrestlers they do have very different styles, so that might play into it. But as as a real wrestling novice i look at johnny hendrix having a lot of trouble taking robbie lawler down even given a lot of time against the cage and i feel like that's a decent indicator that it's going to be hard for anyone to take robbie lawler down um now absent that woodley definitely has knockout power and the ability to surprise anyone especially lawler holds his his uh his hands his hands low one of the things about you know getting older as a fighter damage accruing is not just like ability to like withstand shots but it's your reflexes right like how quickly can you get your hands back in position if you hold them kind of low like Robbie does sometimes because he's worries about worried about the takedown so I think Willie's dangerous but I feel if 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 Lawler is the same as he's been I feel like it favors him I think he can put punches together in combination better I feel like he's really hard to take down and I feel like he strikes really well on separation too like when you're done with the clinch he, he gets he, he throws he throws first after you're done clinching up so I think Lawler is the safe, um, the, the safe pick here as, as champion. Although I, I, I definitely give Woodley a, a big shot, much more than it seems that most people are. And you say if uh, Waller just keeps being like he has, well, do you mean like a stone wall? Basically. Like you just basically. You beat your hand against it until like you can't throw it anymore and like the wall is just still there standing in front yeah. of you? Basically. If he can still be that wall, he's a tough man to beat. Yeah, I don't care who he's fighting. Um, Tyrone, though, is he the best threat Lawler's faced for his belt to date? McDonald, Condit, where does he rank amongst them? I think he's, he's the most dynamic and, and single-shot threat that he's faced, but I feel as though Rory McDonald is, is probably more well-rounded. I feel as though Carlos Condit is a trickier matchup for Robbie Lawler in some ways, even though I can't say Carlos Condit's better than Tyrone Woodley. Woodley beat him, and I know kind of tore his knee up but he was getting thrown around and knocked around pretty pretty good by Woodley before that happened so it's a weird matchup situation I think for Lawler this is probably the most like single shot you know threatening opponent that he's ever faced but I still feel like a guy like Robbie uh, like uh, Roy McDonald is probably it's probably tougher to deal with and uh before we go yep any thoughts first show Anything you want to leave the people with? <laughs> Why not? Want to thank them for uh, for watching. I'm really excited to get this going live too, right? Like uh, we want to want to let you all have multiple ways of of taking this in audio, visual, and check out what what shirts we're wearing each week. But no, I love that, man. I mean, how how lucky are we? We just had an event in our backyard. We just had three of the most exciting fighters in the world who just happened to be fighting this coming week like how lucky are we that they talked to us on fight week I, I, it, it was it was really great to talk to them and to go back to the live we really want to do the facebook live because we want to be able to interact with you guys during yeah. the show and open up questions and that's something that we were uh looking forward to that we're sorely missed but we're, we'll get to the bottom of it and get that going for sure um, and definitely huge that i mean t- two fighters in the main events fighting for the world titles took time out to talk to us that's huge uh, we're definitely lucky and 
we're lucky that we've had a group of people watching the after shows that we did. We kind of yeah. started doing that on the fly in Las Vegas. We did it after UFC on Fox 20. Those are going great. And I think it's uh, something that we're going to be doing after every fight, a little mini extra rounds, podcast, in between shows. Maybe it'll be like when the UFC did, like, what was it, 37.5? Right, right. And they'll be like, right. <laughs> like uh, the Extra Rounds podcast episode 1.5. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, Facebook Live after the <laughs> UFC on uh, Fox, or UFC 201 this weekend. Um, but make sure to keep going to the Sports Illustrated MMA page and the fan-sided page because we're going to continue to do those post-fight chats. And uh, we really look forward to interacting with you. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes when this first episode gets loaded. Make sure to subscribe on Google Play if you have an Android phone and uh, for some reason you hate Apple products. <laughs> or if you have the TuneIn app, make sure to uh, sign up for it on that as well. You know, We want to make sure that we put this out there in as many ways as possible so that you can listen to it. Don't make us um, come to your door and hand it to you. We'll do it. We will. We make house calls. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, so much for taking the time out to uh, talk to us. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. So next time, guests to be determined, yeah. recapping UFC 201. And we'll probably begin a month-long talk of Conor McGregor and ATS. Yeah, at least, at least. And maybe some arm wrestling. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Elias Cepeda, at Mike Dice, and at Extra Rounds. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. <laughs>